0: spending the majority of my ministry inside the Beltway, I've learned the best way to be left alone in a coffee shop, not bothered by the over eager person at the table next to you, is to put my Bible on the table next to my laptop or notebook. 99% of the time it works every time. Nothing acts like kryptonite in North Arlington than the combination of a clergy collar, a Bible, preferably opened to Revelation, An overpriced drip coffee. Two Fridays ago, I was sitting at a table in Frederick, Maryland, my hometown, reading a book. I had my typical out in the field work set up that usually garners me great success in Arlington, minus the clergy collar. A man and his girlfriend asked if they could join me. Of course, sure, I'm just reading a book, I said. All the while, I was thinking this won't take too long. I flashed the cover of the book Their Way, The Ninefold Path of Jesus by Mark Scandrett. Bam! Kryptonite. I was thinking they would say, we'll let you be. After I had deployed what always worked in Arlington, 99% success rate, remember that? They sat down. We exchanged pleasantries, sat in awkward silence for a while. And once I outed myself as a pastor, It was hard at that point to go with my typical architect or lawyer pseudo gig. Phil began to tell me about his brother. Phil described his brother as being the wild child of the family. Phil used the phrase out of control more than once and stated that his brother needed to get his life together and settle down. Don't we all? I jokingly replied, forgetting everything that I had learned in the past year of clinical pastoral education. Tear. Phil said, as he leaned in towards me, will you pray for my brother? You're a pastor. You can do that, right? I mean, even if you don't know him, well, I do know a little about him from you. Of course, I'll pray for him. If you don't mind me asking Phil, what is your brother's name? His name is Jesus. David was finally able to rest. His people were settled in Jerusalem, the city that would one day bear his name. Once again, the ark was in the possession of God's people, the recipients of the covenant God made on Mount Sinai. And David, he had constructed a home of cedar for himself. Everyone and everything was where it belonged. The enemies were at bay. David's kingdom had been established. His rule legitimized. And then, then David had an idea. Look at this, David said, here I am comfortable in a luxurious house of cedar and the chest of God sits in a plain tent. It didn't make sense to David that God would be in a tent while he, the king, resided comfortably in the posh, kingly digs of Jerusalem. Then Nathan, forgetting everything that he was taught on the first day of prophet school, you know, prayerfully conferring with God, okayed the building project. David was going to build a home for the Lord. In the ancient Near East, the practice of building homes, temples, was a tool to legitimize a ruler's rule as well as ensure favor with the gods or God of the earthly rulers choosing. David's status and place as king, but not yet his legacy, was sealed by defeating the Philistines and recovering the ark. David's building project was a further attempt to solidify his name, his rule, and ultimately his legacy. If David could move the Lord's residence from the mobile ark to a permanent temple, no one would be able to question him, his rule or his legacy. A temple would relocate the presence of God symbolized by the ark to a permanent structure within David's namesake city. The Lord enters the scene, speaking to Nathan in a dream. Thus says the Lord, hey, Nathan, since you didn't check with me on this one, let me tell you and that king, I installed you as king and you didn't think to check with me about how I might feel about this whole house temple business, you've got cooked up. David, and even perhaps Nathan too, had forgotten that up to that moment, the Lord had been with David and Israel. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went. And have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. The Lord didn't require or desire a home. The Lord would not be contained, domesticated, or moved away from God's people The Lord, though, did not back away from David. Instead of David building a house for the Lord, the Lord would build a house for David. The Lord would build a dynasty. The name and legacy of David would live on. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your brother's name is Jesus, I asked Phil. As in Jesus? Yes, Phil responded. Please pray that he settle down, get his life together, and you know, do what he's supposed to do. With a name like that, I don't know how much praying will domesticate that guy, I thought to myself. Of course, I will pray for your brother. David was able to control God just as much as I can prevent the movement of God with a well-placed Bible on a table. No matter how hard David tried, no matter how hard we try, we are unable to domesticate, to control, to keep at bay the movement and presence of God. This section of 2 Samuel is titled God's Covenant with David, with God being the center of the story and not the actions of David, no matter how well-intended or pious David's actions were. Introduced in this oracle to Nathan was the unconditional grace of God to Israel, the bedrock of hope, securing the hope of David and his people, even when they would turn away from God. God would raise up a house out of David's name. David's son will raise a temple, a house for the Lord. And ultimately, the messianic hopes for all of creation would bear David's name. Jesus would be born into David's line, bearing his name, establishing the house of God as the cornerstone built upon the witness of the prophets and the apostles. This is the kingdom, the kingdom of God that we saw inaugurated in Bethlehem. This is the kingdom, the kingdom of God that would not be broken by the pains of the cross and the separation of death. And it is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Christ promises will be fully realized by all of creation, all of creation repenting, turning back towards God and away from the security promised to us by power and lifestyle, a kingdom, God's kingdom that cannot be contained, manipulated, or used to legitimize anything other than the reign of God in Jesus Christ. I was reminded of this again on Monday morning, seated in the corner at Starbucks on Lee highway with my new revised standard version Bible conspicuously placed on the corner of the table. When one of the saints from Mount Olivet found me, I was not called out by title. There was no, hey, Pastor Tear, atop the sound of coffee grinders and people demanding to speak with the manager. Rather, a subtle reminder that the church, with, along with all of creation, is joined together, inseparable, in a growing temple. We are a house of the Lord. Christ is with you. Christ is in us, in you, in word and sacrament, so much so that the Lord cannot be controlled and will always be with us. I offer it to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.